Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies! And as you can tell by the designs, a special uh, Christmas season going on, also the season of Hanukkah, which I think just wrapped up. I'm sure my friend Michael Vogel will correct me on that as well. But also, speaking of Michael Vogel... It is his birthday. Happy birthday uh, to our resident uh, geek here, geek in charge. Uh, how are you feeling, um, Michael Vogel, on this birthday? How do you think I'm feeling? Betrayed? Bewildered? <laughs> um, I feel good. It's been a good birthday. I woke yeah. up, had a nice chill morning. My sister's in town visiting. Nice. Uh, my brother brought his new girlfriend into town, hanging Ooh. out with her. Uh, we did a little gym with the sis this morning and then hung out. Nice. Caught up on a little Gilded Age with her and then uh, got some lunch at the Grove. It's been great so far. How's Carrie Coon in the Gilded Age? She's the only reason I would watch it. How's, how's she doing? I mean, there are a lot of reasons to watch the Gilded Age, okay. but Carrie Coon is the best one. She is pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing. Shannon, any uh, sentiments you want to express uh, for our friend here who is experiencing his birthday today? I mean, just that prior to recording, uh, <laughs> Vogel was having some technical issues, and it happened to do with the fact that he couldn't hear. It's like, well, that's yeah. sure sign of uh, of aging. But it turns out it was just his AirPods were uh, were dead, apparently. <laughs> yeah, another sure sign of aging. Uh, can't figure out technology for sure. But hey, <laughs> we wish you the happiest of birthdays today, man! And thanks so much for taking the time to do. The show with us on your birthday, Mike. We're going to have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Thank you all for joining us. And let's introduce ourselves before we start as if we haven't already done that. But I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. Hi, I'm Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and apparently a uh, old fuddy-duddy who doesn't know how to uh, use technology or hear, according to my best friends in the world. So that's great. And yes. <laughs> and... And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor, and also one of Michael's Vogel's best friends who has no problem talking about his decreased capability in hearing as yeah. he gets older on his birthday. Yeah. It's funny, Mike, when the walker's on the other foot, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it, Mike, when the walker's on the other foot? Listen, anyway, I, uh, 
Well, no, we're gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna. Are I'm you just, okay? Just gonna fill you. I'm just gonna. I'm just. I'm just filled with love. Just filled with love. <laughs> you, you see where I'm at? The high road. <laughs> Can you see it from there? Uh, all right, we got a lot to get into today. We're gonna jump on to some new trailers to talk about some trailers to drop this week. We're gonna talk about some stories uh, swirling around Spider-Man Four. Also, uh, get into some Adam Driver comments uh, that were. Uh, interesting. That's going to be our main topic. Uh, and we're also going to talk a little Zachary Levi and James Gunn, kind of by extension, James Gunn here. So, uh, some fun stuff. So strap in. Uh, we hope you're enjoying your holiday season, however you're choosing to spending it, spend it. And we appreciate you spending it with us, watching our show and hanging <clears> out with us. Whether you're watching on YouTube on the Outlaw Nation channel or listening to us on our podcast feed. For those who don't know, you can subscribe and download our podcast. You can take us with you wherever you go this holiday season. And trust me, you going back and listen to some of our episodes might help you get through some of the tougher times and also some of the tough times with your family or friends when you go back this holiday season. So take us along with you. All right, uh, let's get into the first topic here. Let's talk about Spider-Man 4. This is um some news that broke. Well, news, how we say this. Some rumors that broke, I would say this, uh, from scooper Daniel Rickman, this guy we follow each other on Twitter. Daniel always drops some very interesting scoops. Most of the time he's right, but he's reporting that Charlie Cox's Man Without Fear, that's the Daredevil, will indeed have a sizable role in Spider-Man 4, at least in the current iteration of the script. Old Hornhead won't be alone, though, as it's said that Marvel Studios is considering adding Paul Rudd's Ant-Man to the mix as well. Now, normally this is a fun trio, but this is an interesting situation, and I saw some people on social media pushing back on this, saying, well, look, clearly they need Ant-Man to be redeemed after Quantumania. Put him with Spider-Man. Daredevil, She-Hulk, there was a lot of drama around how he was presented. They're redoing the whole thing. Put him there with Spider-Man. But also, there may be a motive here, and Michael, I go to you first on this, that they might be lining up the Kingpin. So this is a New York-based Spider-Man 4, fully New York-based Spider-Man 4 involved with the Kingpin, maybe launching the other characters that are going to be New York-based uh, um, superheroes that we haven't quite seen yet in, in, in the MCU. So what are your thoughts on these rumors? Do you believe these rumors? Do you like where it's going? Or are you like, nah, this is not for me? Um, I mean, I think... I, do I believe them? I think they're likely... I okay. think these don't feel these don't sound like crazy rumors. Mm -hmm. um, they seem like they make sense, um, okay. particularly like Kingpin, Wilson Fisk fighting with Spider-Man. Like he, Kingpin was a Spider-Man villain before he was a Daredevil villain. He Very just true. became overshadowed as a Daredevil villain because the Daredevil Kingpin stories are so great. Um, and when Fox and Marvel kind of split everything up. Wilson Fisk got thrown into the Daredevil pile instead of the Spider-Man pile, but right. he's equally as good as a Spider-Man villain. And I think given where we left Peter Parker at the end of No Way Home, him dealing with sort of a ground level villain like Wilson Fisk mm -hmm. makes sense. And if he's dealing with Wilson Fisk in New York City and nobody knows his identity, dealing with Daredevil also makes sense. The Ant-Man part, uh, you know, is a little bit less of a fit, yeah. but Paul Rudd's great. And... You know, this whole, like, he needs to be redeemed after Ant-Man, I think, is a little bit... The the movie, I mean, after Quantumania, Quantumania mm. is not great, but Paul Rudd's perfectly fine in it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's like there's a big difference to me. I was actually just talking to somebody about this. There is, like, two different kinds of bad Marvel movies right now. Okay. There's Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love, and Thunder bad, 
where I'm like, you did Wanda dirty. That's not Scarlet Witch, given where we were at the end of WandaVision. Or Thor is so stupid and goofy. This isn't the Thor that we saw at the end of Endgame who went through a whole, like, catharsis. Like, there's, like, you, you, you got off base. Quantumania and the Marvels is, like, these movies aren't great, but the characters within them are acting like themselves and perfectly fine. And that's kind of where I put Paul Rudd. So I'm still excited to see Ant-Man show up wherever he shows up in the MCU. So I think that there's a good chance that these are true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I uh, and I'm down for it. I'm into okay. it. I'm into all of it. Okay. Yeah, Shannon, I mean, because I think Paul Rudd's a West Coast uh, superhero, so it'd be interesting to come and be a part of the New York side of things. Certainly there are rumors about bringing some of these Marvel Netflix characters back at New York-based. Certainly the Punisher is coming back. We have Echo about to debut here in january and we have daredevil being reworked on from scratch almost here uh, which was part of the stop and take a look around and maybe make some changes uh portion of the mcu over the last few weeks so these rumors about possibly having a trio of daredevil um spider-man and ant-man going up against kingpin uh what are your thoughts on this possibility and i'm, and I'm kind of speculating the kingpin part more so than the the rumors part what are your thoughts on this I mean, I think it sounds like a blast. Mm. Um, and the funny thing, like with the Spider-Man release date announcements, um, mm. because it's a Sony film, they don't get announced like at Hall H uh, necessarily. Um, I think it was when they did that big event announcing phase three that some of the dates did change because it was they announced homecoming after that. Yeah. Like because Sony was the one who who made that announcement. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when slash if it gets announced right um to see where it actually falls in the schedule in terms of the inclusion of the characters um yeah i i think the interesting thing with where peter parker is right now Mm. is his writer dies don't know who he is right so he's literally out there on his own and in terms of relating to another superhero like daredevil people don't know matt murdoch is daredevil right um just like how people don't know who they don't remember Peter Parker being Spider-Man. Right. Um, so I think that'll be, that potentially could be some really kind of fertile storytelling is, you know, how do you do this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he's literally starting over at square one. Um, I do agree with Vogel. The idea that Ant-Man, the character <laughs> needs to be redeemed because of the performance of the last movie right. seems a little silly because, you know, no one walked out of quantum media being like, oh, Paul Rudd really phoned it in. Um, no, he's, he's always great as Ant-Man. So the idea that the three of them could be together, I mean, I think that sounds like a lot of fun, um, but I do understand the um, Wakanda foreverness of it. The uh, the stuffing right. stuff in that doesn't necessarily like, you know, I liked Ironheart. Did she need to be in Wakanda forever? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I do think it, I, I think that them as a trio potentially going up against Wilson Fisk I think that sounds like a lot of fun. And maybe Scott Lang is in New York because he's looking for colleges with Cassie. Maybe. Who knows? But I also think, yeah. well, two, two things really quick. And then yeah. one is, yes, it could be Wakanda Forever, which was overstuffed, but it could also be Civil War, which was equally as stuffed as Wakanda Forever mm-hmm. and introduced two brand new, two very big characters and worked great. Like Marvel's actually shown that they can do it right. And they can also get a little off track. And granted, Marvel of late has been more off track. But the one thing I do think is funny, and John, you mentioned it, is just the people on Twitter, they're like, oh, yeah. So we people weren't happy about Daredevil and She-Hulk, and uh, people don't like Mania, so you're going to put them in Spider-Man to try yes. to get everybody excited again. And you're like, yeah, 
that's what you do. Like we're all sitting over here being like, Hey, Marvel, let's get back on track. Spider-Man is their franchise that thus far has not done anything. Like it's, it kills every time. So yeah, if they're going to get everybody back on track by putting them in an awesome Spider-Man movie, getting us all excited and then continuing on, I don't quite know why people on Twitter are mad about that when that is good choices all around <laughs> you could have just stopped the senses i don't know why people on twitter are mad at that and then just well that's true that. that is true yeah um no here's the thing i like this idea and i like this idea because some of my favorite spider-man stories are spider-man staying in new york and doing the things that he's doing and fighting fighting kingpin and fighting new york-based villains and and doing all that kind of stuff and you know it was that's where they started with this in the first spider-man movie you enjoyed that feeling that it was kind of insulated yeah there were references to other things but it's a little insulated then we kind of went out into you know out into the europe and all of that then this last one they showed clearly they can make three separate characters work within their uh, construct uh, have them be the heroes and you would have three separate heroes in this particular film if you went this route as well having him who is with kingpin who's working with king kingpin who does he have under him that could be interesting uh to explore how they want to go about it and also as shannon pointed out everyone has forgotten peter parker well what happened last time that we thought you know something was lost and we weren't going to get it back ant-man popped up in a truck in the middle of us whatever that was and so what if Ant-Man is the one who remembers who Peter Parker was because of all the stuff that was going on, and Ant-Man is the one that kind of helps everybody to remember Peter Parker because he's the one that's got the information, the technology, all this kind of stuff that he could possibly help uh, uh, people to remember Peter Parker by the end of the movie. Because the last thing I think you want to do is continue with the Spider-Man franchise where nobody remembers Peter and they all just kind of start all over and do Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind by the end of it. I don't know if that would necessarily work. So that could be an interesting way to kind of massage Ant-Man into this story if you can make it work. So I, I don't know. And I agree with you guys. I mean, I don't think Paul Rudd needs to be redeemed from that movie. And of course, because I like the movie so i don't have an issue with the film as much as other people do um and i thought uh, there were quite a few people who did really well in that movie um so i don't have an issue with it but i can understand why you'd want to bring them together plus they're all three kind of different wisecracking guys in different ways especially if they go back to the oh. daredevil that's a little more of a harder edge to him he's going to have little shots a little whatever's Peter's going to be more the teenager sophomore approach and, and Ant-Man's going to be more kind of like the older guy in the room, but not quite as cool as the cool kid. So all of those energies, I think, could work really well with those guys as actors. What if Scott Lang was in the quantum realm when Doctor Strange cast that spell? I'm just saying, yeah, he could be the he could be the key to everything. Who knows? Maybe could be could be. I mean, it worked for what uh, Infinity War Endgame. So, um, all right, uh, okay, cool. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll move on to our next thing here uh, right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production 
edition of The Tempest. And I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon. And speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night. And I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code BUDDIES. B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code BUDDIES to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Get three months for just 99 cents. Visit Marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now. Use code BUDDIES. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. <laughs> Is it your turn, Mike, or Shannon? Who it's my turn. All right, take it away, my man. All right, our buddy Zach Levi, uh, everybody's favorite geek, uh, has done a lot of great stuff for geekdom, has sure. been a friend of geeks, but also sometimes just can't help himself and just <laughs> says things that you're just like, oh, Zach Levi. Uh, the latest one of these is uh, Chris Killian at comicbook.com was talking to Zach Levi and asked if he was interested in taking paths similar to Jason Momoa or Sean Gunn, both of whom have played characters in the DC universe and now look like they are playing new characters in the, C- in the DC universe with Jason. Momoa everybody wants him to play Lobo everyone's talking about he could play Lobo he keeps saying he's excited Mm. about stuff so we think about it and with Sean Gunn who uh played Weasel uh and I think another small character in the DC universe uh Calendar Man is now going to be Maxwell Lord so uh is rumored to be rumored or is rumored 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 to be maxwell lord so you know just asking zach levi if after the shazam movies if he'd be interested in that uh and he said he didn't know uh and he and then in regards to sean gunn said listen when you're the brother of the guy who runs dc i guess you get to play whoever you want and went on to say some lovely stuff about how much he loved the shazam movies how he still feels really proud of the shazam movies how he loves being a superhero like 90% of what Zach Levi said was actually perfectly innocuous superhero celebrity stuff, but he couldn't help but get that little dig in there to uh, to Sean Gunn. And, of course, yeah. that's the one comment that blew up, and now all these articles are like, Zach Levi's coming for Sean Gunn. Now, I don't think <laughs> that Zach Levi's coming for Sean Gunn. I think it was mostly totally fine. Yeah. But you, you can always just sort of sense that little bit of like, uh... Yeah. You were doing so good and you didn't you didn't quite have to take the shot 
at Sean. Like, there's just a little like Sean Gunn's great. He's yeah. great in the Guardians movies. He was great as Weasel. Like, I'm sure he's going to be a really interesting Maxwell Lord. Like, Sean Gunn's a delight. He's also James Gunn's brother. Um, but you know, Zach Levi just couldn't quite help himself. So I, I don't think that this is as bad as some articles across the internet <laughs> and the Twitters are making it. But we are talking about it. So, gentlemen, what do you think of the of the innocuous? Uh, Sean Gunn can do whatever he wants because his brother is the boss. Comments. (laughs) (laughs) This response, like, again, having not read the entire thing, knowing the breadth of it, um, this is sort of like the first draft of a response (laughs) that you give to your friend and say, like, hey, should I send this? Should I text this? (laughs) (laughs) Does this seem like a good idea? Um, Because he, you know, he was at a convention and someone had asked him about, and this is prior to who's who's making the transition from the old DC to the new DC. And he had said, well, I hope I do. I mean, James Gunn's a friend. Um, yeah, this is, this is sort of like an unnecessary unnecessary. I, I won't call it a shot because I don't think he was, he was, you know, trying to make a shot at Sean Gunn. I think it was more just sort of like, oh, he's, 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 there's some sour grapes there. Like he's, he's not happy about the reception that the second movie got. Um, I think maybe in his heart of hearts, he believes it was a good film that just didn't get a fair shake, partly because they knew that the tape, the the slate was going to be wiped clean and they were starting over. So I think we all may have had that thought (laughs) when Sean Gunn was announced as potentially playing this, you know, this, this, this bad guy who Pedro Pascal played in the first iteration. Um, Yeah. I mean, it, Zach Levi seems to, maybe he needs to go to publicity school again. And just be like, hey, before you say something like this, stop and think, is this going to achieve? What is this going to achieve? Um, Because, again, I think it probably was very off the cuff. I don't think it was it was a barb. I think it was just something that he (laughs) clearly had thought. It wasn't like he was sitting there, smoked a big drag on his cigarette and was like... Sean Gunn, you say? Well, I've got something to tell you about Sean Gunn. (laughs) This wasn't Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I watched the interview. Chris is my boy. We've been friends for a while, and I'm very happy to see him ascending at comicbook.com. And he does these interviews, and we went back and forth on his Facebook about this interview because he asked a very good question. It was a simple, innocent question. It's Zachary who kept going. And if you study body language, you watch Zachary messing with his chain, messing with his hair. And then after he says what he says about Sean Gunn, there's this Grand Canyon, what feels like a Grand Canyon level type of pause before he continues with. The, so I think he knew. I think his sensors in his mind went, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. How do I save it? And, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I agree. I, look, Zachary, it's not a good time right now. And we're watching him transition in his life and all these things in a very public way. And of course, for people who know, he's lost his father recently as well. So, you know, this is a man going through a number of things. And so it's tough to want to judge him for this. And I saw some DC fans go, do I sense a little salt or all this kind of stuff? And it's like, no, man, the guy's hurt. He really loved playing Shazam. Whatever your feelings are about the movie, he loved playing this role. To think about something being taken from you, that you really love doing and you really feel like it's out of your control and you really are proud of the two films you've made, which he keeps saying over and over again. But I mean, the rock has this salt about, but he's still trying to push this bullshit narrative about black Adam and that it was a good movie and misunderstood came out at the wrong time. 
It's all nonsense. It's just a bad movie. People didn't like it. It's just that the way it goes. But unfortunately, Zachary, you can see him kind of processing this. And so, yeah, did he take an unnecessary shot, playful shot, passive-aggressive shot at Sean Gunn and James Gunn? Sure. But, I mean, how many of us? Let the non-petty of us uh, throw the first stone, well, petty stone. <laughs> at, at the I mean, there's been, there's been more than one. There's been more than one time where Roca has sent me a draft of a text or an email and says, what do you think of this? And there's oh. usually at least one or two sentences where I go, what's your goal with this? <laughs> what are you, uh, That's usually what true. are you trying, what are you, what are you trying to get out of this sentence? <laughs> maybe, maybe if you just take this sentence out, it's a great email. Well, <laughs> I think it's, that's at the end of this rainbow. <laughs> Cause it might not be a pot of gold. I could have used you for a couple of tweets. I didn't know we were pulling out the Festivus poll. Are we airing grievances? I, I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. I mean, I will say. Thing. You know, so I will say it's when you I read. It's bad. when you. It's when you read Zach Levi's comments about the Shazam movies and how he. Because you're yeah. to your point, he keeps going on about how proud he is and whatever. It's. It's almost like he could take a note from John Rocco's good friend Iman Vellani and just say, <laughs> "I really enjoyed making these movies." It's really Bob Iger's problem how they do in the theaters. That's like, a I had a good time. I had a good time. Point. Yeah, yeah. But clearly, but obviously, clear. And of course, the stuff with the Andy Vax. So there's just this is a tough time right now for Zachary as he's transitioning into this place, and we'll see where he goes. But I do appreciate the fact that he kind of called out Chris a little bit, and in a way, calling out Chris and all the fandom who are just assuming that Momoa is going to be Lobo because he was like, "There's no, it was never been announced. It's not actually happening. Nothing that I've heard." So Zachary himself has not heard that Momoa is playing Lobo. And um, that could be a really interesting swerve if it ends up not being Lobo that Momoa is playing. No, no, I'm saying he's privy to the information, but Zachary's pretty tapped in, as you said, Michael. He ran Nerd HQ. He's got a lot of geek friends in the business, and I'm sure it would have kind of come to him at some point if Momoa has really been like in these uh, clandestine talks to play Lobo. So him pushing back on this, I thought, was was a, a good response to not only Chris, but the rest of the fandom to be like, guys, don't count those chickens. She yeah. said. No one's made an announcement. So, But let me ask you guys this. The Maxwell Lord situation of it all, James Gunn, did we talk about this last week? James Gunn's post on Instagram where he said that he was kind of, he thought it was, quote, reductive for people to call Maxwell Lord a villain in how he's approaching this and that he used one of my favorite runs, the Justice League International mm -hmm. run, to be like, hey, Maxwell Lord was a good person. But, I mean, Maxwell Lord was controlled Throughout that, we found out he was being controlled by su by a couple of computer uh, um, oh, situations. Man. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. So, so what do you think of what he said? I mean, because like Maxwell has been a villain for ninety percent of the time he's been in the DC universe, and you study his history throughout the DC universe, he's been a villain in many, many ways, mind controlling or whatever. You. So, do you think that James is a little bit like cherry picking? how he wants uh, Maxwell Lord to play in his universe. And do you like that? It's going to be Sean to play this role um, that has well, a lot com of complexity to it. So, yeah. I mean, when you say with a comic book in, in the world of comic books, when you say we found out at a certain point that this is what was really going on, right. what that really means is some writer came in and uh, point, totally like, like yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to just sort of retcon a bunch of stuff. Like, yeah. so you can't really say Maxwell Lord was a villain for 90% of the time he was in comics. Like that for all the Justice League International and Maxwell Lord being around for as long, like he was 
maybe not the best guy in the world, but he wasn't really a villain. He really didn't become a villain until the OMAC stuff leading into the whole him taking over everybody and Wonder Woman snapping his neck because she didn't give a shit about killing people. And then Superman and Batman getting mad at Wonder Woman because they don't kill and she did kill and the whole thing and like, whatever, like that all happened in the world of comics relatively recently. So I do think James Gunn, who is pulling from the comics that he loved growing up and the way that those characters were written then is yeah. well within his rights to say, I'm going to go in a different way with like, yes, in the world of the DC comics now, yeah. Maxwell Lord is firmly in the villain category. But until that whole OMAC Maxwell Lord, uh, let me reveal that I really am been mind controlling people like blah, 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 blah happen. He wasn't really a villain, I don't think. So I think, mm -hmm. like, if he wants to go back and pull from some of that and kind of do a new take on Maxwell Lord for his DCU that may end up going down a villain road, maybe that's his plan, or yeah. may just kind of live in a different kind of thing, I think that's valid Okay, to me. That's fair. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on this um, uh, Maxwell Lord and how James Gunn seems to want to go with him. And do you think, Sean Gunn is the right choice. I mean, in terms of the character, like I don't know. I've I haven't read as much stuff that had Maxwell mm. Lord in it as you guys did. Okay. But my my understanding, my broad understanding, is like, yeah, this is one of many villains. Mm. Um, setting up this new universe. I mean, again, he wants to populate. You know, we've we've been populating it a lot with heroes. Yeah. So now he wants to populate it with some people who are potentially on the other side. Um. So. I think whatever the role ends up being, I don't think I don't think we're leading to a a, a movie where Maxwell Lord is going to be the main bad guy. Um, I don't think uh, I, I don't think Gunn would do that. Yeah, because when you're looking at who you want your your primary antagonist to be, you're going to go after in general. You're going to go after a name, yeah. and Sean Gunn is James Gunn's brother, but that is where that is the extent of his name. Um, and his work is Craglin. His work is Callum. I mean, he was, you know, in Suicide Squad for, you know, two minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think Sean Gunn is a fine actor. Um, I don't know. Again, depending on what the role ends up being, I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have cast him personally because yeah. all of the other casting announcements that they have made have been so on the money and have been so exciting. And this is the first one that I feel like folks may have been like, oh, Okay, so mm -hmm. you get you giving your brother part, which again, he's a good actor. He 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 is a he is a solid working actor. Um, but I don't think we're building to the you know giant Maxwell Lord saga. That's just my guess. Yeah, I mean, for me, there were many years where Maxwell Lord was on par with or just slightly below Lex Luthor in terms of the amount of villainy he can do. He could do because I mean, Luthor never had powers. There are stories that have been told where he's acquired stuff or whatever. But like Maxwell has had powers throughout a majority of his time in the in the DC universe of comics over the last three four decades, so it's a matter of how he uses it. But I think also this casting lets me know where James Gunn sees Maxwell Lord in the in the overall DCU, which is not a very big presence in the yeah. DCU. He's gonna do his thing. He's gonna be because I mean he's a blue blood. Maxwell Lord's a blue blood. Sean is not ready a blue blood either. So this is going to be an interesting acting challenge for sean gunn as you said uh shannon good and when he's shown up in james gunn's movies but never really been a mad lead so let me see what you can do with this and what you can create with this it'll be interesting and, and look james gunn's got a right to cast whoever if he wanted to make jennifer holland uh supergirl tomorrow it's his right it's his universe we're gonna judge it through that prism but people feel like people are going crazy about oh how does he get to cast 
Meanwhile, they love every Tarantino film. We cast all the same actors in his films. Clint Howard has had a whole career off Ron Howard. So to me, it's like, come on, guys. Like, you be fair. It's not like Sean has been a terrible actor and he's just been kind of handing him roles. I mean, fuck. Frank Stallone's lived off Sylvester Stallone for how many decades? I mean, this is how it goes. For God's sakes. So like, ease off and let's wait for the results before we... Uh, you know, destroy him or whatever. So, um, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll jump into some trailers here uh, on the other side of this. Bye bye. Sean gone. <laughs> Thought you were gonna give us a little. Oh boy! I really shoulda. I really shoulda. <laughs> I'm not going back now. Let's go. What do we got? <laughs> well, we've got some trailers, trailers, trailers. Our first one, as uh, Vogel has already spoiled here, really what I should have hummed. We Just this week, we got to see our first look at Beverly Hills Cop Axel F. So it has been uh, uh, quite a while since Axel Foley has uh, has uh, graced the graced the silver screen. Um, the fourth Beverly Hills Cop. This fell into one of those one of those uh, rumor mills of like, is will this ever happen? Um, much like Indiana Jones four. Like for the longest mm. time, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Eddie Murphy, you know, he, he he's aging out of it. Eddie Murphy doesn't look like he is aged at all. Um, there was going to be a Beverly Hills Cop te- television show at one point that was going to focus on Axel's son, where Axel Foley was going to be like the commissioner and was going to pop up occasionally. Well, we have finally gotten our fourth Beverly Hills Cop film, courtesy of Netflix. Um, and I got to tell you, I mean, the trailer is really fun. I mean, getting to hear, getting to hear that, you know, classic classic Axel Foley theme it it brought a smile to my face Beverly Hills Cop is one of those movies that I didn't see until much much later because I wasn't allowed to see R-rated movies and I live with my mom and dad Um, so watching to watching the film that launched Eddie Murphy into the stratosphere after his time on SNL um it was just getting to see that character again I'm like this looks like a lot of fun but gentlemen I'll throw it over to you all first Mikey you're the birthday boy what did you think (laughs) first look at Beverly Hills Cop Axel F. Well, you know, Beverly Hills Cop from Netflix, there's just kind of this, there's a stink of coming to America on Amazon. Like, there's just like, there's just like that sort of, okay, let's see. Um, But I did, like, you watch the trailer, then Joseph Gordon-Levitt pops up, and then there's Kevin Bacon, and then there's Judge Reinhold, who's had a lot of work done. And you're like, okay, there's, there's, there's a lot of people in this movie. And it, you know, I, what I will say for it is, I kind of came away from it going, "Wow, this really does feel like an '80s action movie." Like something mm. about the trailer and the energy and the action, like it, it felt right. Like it felt like it was in the area of like, all right, this feels like it's going to be fun. I, I do wonder if we need this. Like that, like it really falls into a category of like, you know, and there's all these articles and we've been talking about it. And look, we, you brought up Indiana Jones. You can use Dial of Destiny as a perfect example. Like if you love Indiana Jones, it was fun to see him go on one more adventure. It wasn't the best Indiana Jones movie. It wasn't the worst Indiana Jones movie, but did we really need another Indiana Jones adventure? Like, should we be making uh, new movies? And so when you see the whole Beverly Hills Cop, you're like, yeah, as someone who grew up in that era, seeing Eddie Murphy play Axel 
I'm excited and I hope it's good and maybe it'll be good, but I, I kind of did come away going, do we need it? <laughs> Necessary? I don't know. Johnny, how about you? You got, got any other? <laughs> now got, that you want to uh, throw, throw a buzzkill uh, uh, cocktail into this? Now that you've heard Big Blue's pitch, here's ours. I We absolutely need it, for God's sakes. <laughs> I thought this was great. What We need more comedy in the world, not less. This looks like a fun teaser. And I think you were right, Mike, in pointing out that it has that 80s act. It felt very much like Beverly Hills Cop 2. It had it understood, like, okay, Beverly Hills Cop 3, we really fucked that up. Let's not do that. Let's go back to the one that most people enjoyed. I know the first film is very beloved, but that second film was like the second was like Aliens when it came out. People were like, they love this movie. Great action stuff. Stuff for Rosewood and Taggart to play to expand their characters. Seeing them pop up there at the end, sitting in the same familiar position they were in in the first Beverly Hills Cop movie was really fun. And it's it's visiting old friends. Their interactions were really funny. Um, but they're also adding something that wasn't in the trailer, and that's they're adding an estranged daughter. So for Axel Foley. So you've got a family issue that he's going to have to navigate along with solving whatever this case is. And the case seems to be leading to Kevin Bacon as the main villain, kind of reminiscent of Timothy Oliphant as the villain in that Die Hard movie a little bit. And then you got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who seems to be the new Rosewood, the new Judge Reinhold type character who's working with Axel, but also defending him and letting him do things, but also worried about what he's doing. So you bring and then you bring it back Bronson Pinchot and you bring it back Paul Reiser. Uh, so to me, they're, they're, they're bringing the right elements in and they're really focused on the action. There was a lot of action in this trailer that I was really surprised by. I thought it'd be more like, hey, isn't this funny? So the fact that they didn't do that and focused on the action, I think made me excited for it. But of course, I take your point, Michael, but hell, I'll be happy for another good, funny movie that has some action in it that works um, from Netflix. It, so we'll see. I mean, look, if I watch this and mm. it has a lot of great action in it mm. and it's really funny and it works, I'm good. Yeah. I just think uh, in the era of let's reboot everything, which is definitely the era that we live in. True. Um, there's been a lot of misses as much as there's been a few big hits. Uh-huh. You're right and about that. Eddie Murphy, you know, as as much as and you guys are right, Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop Two, like launched him into the stratosphere. Coming to America, yeah, is on most people's greatest comedies of all time lists. Yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. Coming to America Two <laughs> is not. That's true. That That's that true. I mean that that is that is absolutely fair. I mean in the in the age of you know raiding the vaults of IP, I mean. It seems like Hollywood, I feel like they're probably bat, batting lower than 500. <laughs> like they, they miss more, they miss more than they hit. Yeah. But while the sequel to Coming to America, at least for me, it did have, even from the trailers, had sort of that cash cash grab vibe to it. This one doesn't feel yeah. like that to me. Yeah. And, I know, agree with that. I agree with uh, that. So, and again, seeing Rosewood and Taggart back together, seeing Surge, Bronson Pinchot's Surge, um, you know, the, who, who knows what the audience for this movie is going to be? I mean, it might be, you know, just folks like us, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but also being on the largest streaming platform gives it, gives it the best chance. So, you know, yeah. fingers crossed. And I like that he's finding new life on these streaming platforms. Cause I, yeah. I thought Candy Cane Lane was a sweet film, not a great film, but a sweet Christmas film. Then you got him, you know, he's been on, I know for whatever was uh, the one with Jonah Hill, not maybe the best. But he's finding new life in doing so. The more Eddie, 
the better, in my opinion. I got no problem. Even if it's not great, I'm still happy to have Eddie Murphy back in my life. And people who are saying, like, why is he still wearing that Detroit Lions jacket? You motherfuckers, calm down. This is movies. All right, Indiana in 1969 is still wearing that motherfucking hat and the motherfucking whip. So, like, people, you got to go back to the things that people know. I mean, Lando showed up in the the Rise of Skywalker wearing the shit that Lando was wearing in fucking Solo. So, give me a break. So, it's if we're gonna start if we're gonna start using Rise of Skywalker as an example <laughs> of quality, I think we're going down a bad road. It's a quality I just meant. So in 2024, as Roka said, we're going to get more ready. Will it be good? Will it not? Will it be a cash grab? We'll find out. It doesn't have a date yet, but it is going to be released next year. Yep. So that brings us to our next trailer of another returning hero, uh, Kung Fu Panda 4. It has been eight years or seven years since uh, 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 Poe the Panda has been on the big screen. Um, And this one, they're bringing in Viola Davis as our villain, who is a chameleon sorceress who can take the uh take the shape of all of poe's former foes and even take the uh, form of poe himself um i thought this was i had no idea this was coming um so when the trailer played i was genuinely shocked uh but i thought it i thought it looked interesting i mean i'm i like those kung fu panda movies but gentlemen i'll throw it over to you johnny why don't you take it away first what do you think of our first look at kung fu panda 4 I'll be real quick because I defer to you two who are animation greats. I, for me, I liked it. And, and like you, Shannon, I'd heard that a trailer was coming just randomly on, on Twitter a couple of days before the trailer debuted. I was like, oh, really? A new Kung Fu Panda movie? All right, sure. I liked the first three films. The third one, maybe not as much, but the first two I thought were really cool. You got Ian McShane, you got Gary Oldman, obviously Dustin Hoffman, and, and all the great actors who are playing the Furious Five. So to me, I was like, okay, let's see what we got. And I like the vibe of this one. It is Poe progressing to the next stage, which is him taking over for Dustin Hoffman. So he's got to find someone to replace him. Who is he going to find? The rumors are that the Aquafina character is who's going to eventually take over there. But who are you going to bring in to be a villain that's on the par with Ian McShane, on the par with Gary Oldman? Let's get Viola Davis in here. How do you make her unique? She's a chameleon. How is she a chameleon? She is taking the lives or the energy of all the previous villains to combine into one super villain. And I kind of like that idea. Plus, the animation was vibrant and exciting and interesting. The jokes worked for me and the general overall vibe. You know, normally Jack Black goes too far with Poe in the scatological humor. But it seemed like in this trailer, they got the right balance for me. So now I'm like, yeah, I've watched this thing. I'm looking forward to it. Mikey, what do you think? Yeah, I actually am with John on this one. I I was again, I was like, do we need a Kung Fu Panda for? <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's maybe do it. But then I watch a trailer and kind of everything John said is is kind of what I felt like. Okay, right off the bat, you're like, all right, well, you're you're moving on and now you're like kind of needing to reach like spiritual enlightenment, and mm. this is something you're not ready for. Like you've mastered, you've mastered everything in the earthly realm, and now you gotta step up to the next level and you're not quite ready to do that. You've got a replacement coming in, and you have a villain who is a ninja chameleon who can take on everyone's ninja powers. You're like like by the end of the trailer i was like yeah i think those are all good ideas <laughs> like like that that really i mean you know dreamworks animation having gorgeous animation at this point is a given like you right. know the the good thing about the animation industry right now is that between sony and dreamworks and disney and pixar it's like having these movies come out that look absolutely gorgeous and stunning is almost like that's the okay we know we got that right. but it really did look great but yeah 
I, I think that Jack Black, it was the right amount of comedy, the right amount of everything. It looked good. The action looked fun. And yeah, that chameleon villain is just a banger idea. All, 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 if somebody walked into a room and said, I want to do another Kung Fu, Kung Fu Panda movie. And I was like, I don't know. And they said, what about a chameleon that could take on ninja powers? I'd be like, green light. Let's do it. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm excited. I am down for another adventure with Poe and the gang. And that next adventure with Poe and the gang is going to be March 8th next year. And that brings us to our last trailer, uh, our first look at If. This is from director John Krasinski. He can do quiet horror with a quiet place. Now we're getting we're getting uh, uh, family fantasy fun. And this one is starring uh, Ryan Reynolds, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, Steve Carell as the voice of our If, which stands for Imaginary, Imaginary Friend. Friend. I thought this looked delightful one or two concerns but i'll throw it over to you gentlemen first mikey what'd you think are you ready to revisit your if i am very ready if if you go on youtube there's the trailer that came out the teaser trailer but there's also like about a two or three minute behind the scenes a uh, little snippet that you can watch about it where uh, they talk about it. like Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. And it's, a, it's an idea that John Krasinski's had for a while. He and Ryan Reynolds started talking about it. And Ryan Reynolds was like, yeah, we were basically like, hey, think we can make a live action Pixar movie. Let's do it. And it <laughs> looks like that's what they did. Like, that's the vibe. This feels like a live action Pixar movie. Um, the, the CG animation looks amazing. It looks really fun. It looks funny. It looks weird. I... I, I've just been, you know, it's it's Christmas right now, in case mm-hmm. you haven't noticed. And I literally, right before this trailer came out, I had watched Spirited again for like the 90,000th oh. time. Uh, and Ryan Reynolds, man, between like Free Guy and Spirited, The Adam Project, which I know wasn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea, but like kind of falls into the same category. Like putting Deadpool aside, which is, you know, we all love Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. He's really built this body of work that is very imaginative very creative very funny but also like incredibly sweet and heartfelt Mm. and that is all right up my alley and this movie feels like it's very much in that vein i I am this actually went from a movie that i didn't really know what it was to this is one of the things that i'm most excited about for 2024 right now like that that's kind of how much the trailer and the little behind the scenes featurette sort of took me away so i am very, very excited for this and uh, always down for heartfelt, funny Ryan Reynolds. Johnny, what you think? Did we need this movie? Oh, uh, no, I... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I mean, it was fine. I liked it for what it was, but it's clearly geared towards the killed, uh, children uh, and the uh, child inside of you. I never had an imaginary friend, so I don't quite have that kind of experience, but um, I, I know a lot of people obviously did, and yeah, you hadn't you gotten fights with all of them. They ran away. <laughs> Why aren't you real? Uh, no, and then the, so the idea of having this is a very smart and sweet idea that appeals to a lot of people, universal people. Um, I don't know if Ryan is the right choice for this, but all right, fine, because I don't think Ryan like Ryan always defaults in. A, I'm telling my jokes, you know, my joke, my shtick. This is my shtick, and I just like I would like to have had someone a little more. Ten- Ironically. I think Steve Carell, as human Steve Carell, would have been an interesting choice to lead this film uh, because I think Steve does a great job of walking that line of emotional availability and vulnerability and then authentic uh, uh, fear and in comedy in, in situations. So Ryan sometimes comes off as, I'm putting on emotions. Can you tell that I'm doing emotions? And it's not always great, but when he's doing his comedy, he's 100% on point. I love Ryan as a comedian, but 
this is where I felt like it's a little, so to me, it feels like it's, it's kind of lightweight and it's going to be fun. But I'll tell you that last moment that got me the don't look in the eye, which eye, and then it falls out. That was funny. Okay. I'll tell but, you right now. Yeah. I'm going to make a prediction. Geek buddies prediction. There we go. And why this movie is going to be garbage and I'm going to have Probably. to eat my words, but I don't care. I'm going to make this prediction. <laughs> okay. uh, I think this movie is going to be great and super heartfelt. Like when they say they're going for a Pixar movie and I yeah. think John Roke is going to eat his words and this movie is going to make him cry. We'll I said see. it. Okay. He's going to cry. You said it. I cried all through color purple. So we will see. We will see. Um, you know what? I'm kind of with John on this for, for different reasons, for okay. different reasons. Because I think Ryan Reynolds does a great job every time. But because of his work in Spirited, because of his work in Free Guy, because of his work in The Adam Project, I'm like, we've seen him in this type of movie before. Mm, and while he does deliver a very, very consistent, very entertaining performance, I feel like this was maybe an opportunity to um to to let another actor shine i think the idea of ryan reynolds um hanging out with uh imaginary friends i'm like yeah that makes perfect sense it's almost too easy hmm. like who is someone that i wouldn't expect to do this and, and i think that potentially could have made it um a little more exciting i mean the idea i think is a great idea um steve carell again as the as you know, as the voice of the imaginary friend, I'm like, yep, that's fun. Um, I, I just would have liked to have seen somebody, somebody unexpected in that role. Um, that's kind of where I am. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I can tell. Mm -hmm. I am. Maybe, I am. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe Sean Gunn, perhaps. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> an imaginary friend. Okay, How about Zachary Levi? How about Zachary Levi? Zachary Levi. <laughs> Zachary <laughs> Levi, I think this absolutely is a Zachary Levi. By the um, way, I mean, yes, this actually right? would be a good role for Zachary, Zachary Levi. But, but I think it's a good role for Ryan. I, I you know, I, maybe it's the maybe it's the former executive in me where you're just like, Ryan Reynolds plays these roles great. We've seen Ryan Reynolds play these roles great. This is a great role for Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds with imaginary friends, home run all the way. That's why we shouldn't do it. You're like... <laughs> You had me till that last sentence. You're like, no, no, no. I kind of feel like you were lining up the other side of that argument there, buddy. <laughs> sure. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we need a Ryan Reynolds type. Get me a Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> we need a, guys, I really want that Ryan Reynolds type. But I want it to be anybody except Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> well, uh... Will Will Vogel's Geek Buddies prediction about if come true? Mm -hmm. Only one way to find out. It's when it yeah. comes out next May 2024. May! <sighs> All right. By the way, that's yeah. a confident movie date, too. I mean, it's that is true. right at the beginning of summer. Um, like, they, and you look at that. I mean, it is, you know, you mentioned some of them, but it's like Ryan Reynolds, Steve Carell, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Emily Blunt, uh, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it is a stacked cast. Stacked. There you go. Um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. We're going to jump into our main topic and go to the dark side here with Adam Driver right after this. Is that the thing? Is that the thing? Oh. By the way, that was good. 
I was impressed. I was impressed with that one. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of I got a lot to make up for <laughs> with that Beverly Hills Cop drop. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, bear in mind, uh, this is going to be a bit of a long read real quick, just to lay the groundwork for this. But uh, uh, this is Adam Driver. Uh, he was interviewed on the Rich Eisen show. For those of you who don't know who Rich Eisen is, Rich Eisen was a very successful sports podcaster started on, or a broadcaster started on ESPN Sports Center, And since then, he has run his own thing. Uh, he has called a number of – he works for the NFL Network for quite some time. Uh, and his wife is hosting a podcast with uh, my friend Amy Trask now. So Rich is well-known, and he's crossing over the lines here between sports into pop culture. Had Adam Driver on the show when they were talking about Star Wars, and Adam Driver dropped these comments. He said, J.J. Abrams, and he was talking about the arc of Kylo Ren here. It was supposed to become more evil during the trilogy and not a conflicted antihero. These are his quotes. J.J. Abrams walked me through what he wanted to do with the character, but you had to sign up and be like, I'm going to do it. And once I did that, I went to London to star uh, for pre-production. And it's like, there's a tiny room down the hall. You can go in there and read the script. So I was reading it for the first time. I had an overall arc that in mind that, that I had an overall arc in mind that J.J. Abrams wanted to do. His idea was that Kylo's journey was the opposite journey of Vader, where Vader starts the most confident and the most committed to the dark side, and then by the last movie, he's the most vulnerable and weak. He wanted to start with the opposite. This character was the most confused and vulnerable, and by the end of the three movies, he would be the most committed to the dark side. I tried to keep that arc in mind, regardless of what of, of what wound up not being, uh, regardless if that wound up being not being the journey anyway, because it changed while we were shooting, but I was still focused on that. And Driver said Ryan Johnson took Kylo Ren's original arc in a, quote, different direction with The Last Jedi, although it's still tracked with the character, he said. But talking about Rise of Skywalker, the last one, it changed into being, you know, about them and the dyad and things like that and evolving into Ben Solo. That was never a part of it. He was Ben Solo from the beginning, but there was never a version where we'd see Ben Solo when I first signed up for it. So, um you guys, your thoughts on this? Because it sounds like what J.J. Uh, Abrams and what they initially talked about was something I would have loved to have seen. But what we got was a mishmash of changing directors and changing um, motivations and arcs and storylines here with the Kylo Ren that ended up doing a disservice, even though people still love the character to the Kylo Ren story overall. What did you guys think? Mike, I got to be first on this one. What do, you, what do you think? Well, look, I mean, I think anytime you're doing movies a story that arcs over multiple movies things are going to change you always go in sure. at the beginning sure. and you have an idea of what you want to do and, and things are gonna go in different directions you're gonna make discoveries like if you didn't allow things to organically grow and change as you worked in production and other voices came in like you that's not a good way to be like movies are right, going to change right. but i do think the main idea here is that jj abrams came in with this really big idea and the right. big idea was Darth Vader starts off as the worst, most evil person ever, and by Return of the Jedi has come back to the light. Why don't we do the opposite? Yeah. Like, the big idea is, let's start with someone who, like, oh, maybe, maybe there's hope for you. I sense the good in you. And see the opposite, the opposite story told. And when your big idea goes out the window... That's where things are bad. Like, 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 I think a lot of things could have changed in the process and he still could have told that story. And I think that was a good idea. Like, I think mm. that what he says, re, you know, like what he says he went in and was excited about, what J.J. Abrams was excited about at the beginning, I, I think that sounds cool. 
Yeah. Um, and look, we've litigated this and Star Wars fans have discussed this and debated it and we'll continue to debate it and argue it forever. But that new trilogy, like, yeah, we all know what went wrong. Like J.J. Abrams started telling a story. Ryan Johnson picked up the story. Everybody freaked out. In some ways, like this is way better. In some ways, this is way worse. Like everybody split down the middle. Disney freaked out and then said, let's make a fan servicey film that pleases no one. Like that's, we all yeah. know that that's what happened. Um, I do think what's interesting when you read between the lines of what he says in this art, in this, inter- in this interview or what, 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 uh, what, uh, date, what Daisy, why I just want to say Daisy, Daisy. Ray, what Daisy Ridley keeps Ridley? saying. Uh, yes. Um, aside from Mark Hamill, who really, it sounds like didn't like what Ryan Johnson did with Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Um, everyone else kind of is very like, like even he, he was like, so this was where we were going with Kylo Ren. Ryan Johnson did this, which still tracked with what we were, what I was thinking was going on. And then Rise of Skywalker went out the window. Like it feels like a lot of people kind of liked what Ryan Johnson was doing, who were working on the film, uh-huh. um, which I find interesting. But yeah, all in all, you know, I think in the big scheme of things, the new Star Wars trilogy, despite the fact that a lot of people love the characters and there's a lot of things to still love about those movies, um, are basically a uh, a college level course on how not to do uh, multi movie storytelling. Yeah, Shannon, it's really shocking that Disney at this level would have such a colossal. Um, series of mistakes in dealing with one of their biggest if not biggest uh ips here that they paid four billion dollars for and adam is essentially confirming uh, and michael kind of alluded this to this as well shannon like my uh, adam is essentially confirming what a lot of bloggers and scoop people had been saying for some time now that things that even though disney had said no or star wars people had said no that this was kind of changed on the fly and alternated and moved around and retconned and all this kind of stuff. And so I think this is one of the reasons why people aren't going to revere this trilogy, the way they revere the prequel trilogy, because it's different people in charge, which, so it doesn't have a through line that makes sense. What do you think about what Adam said here about the, the uh, changing motivations as an actor yourself too, Shannon, changing motivations of a character like this, um, depending on what film it was in. I mean, from my personal point of view as an actor, Mm. if someone were to come to me and say, hey, we want you to be in three movies, you don't get to see a script, but roughly this is where we think you're going to go. I would say absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and I would preempt it. I'd say absolutely. I'm like, and and you know what? Halfway through, if you want to change everything, I'm still in. I'm still in. For an actor at Adam Driver's level, um, yeah. who was, you know, pretty well established at that point. I mean, Star Wars definitely got him further. Um, but for an actor at his level, it's funny how Vogel took it, took the idea of him saying Ryan Johnson took it in a different direction. I didn't take a positive from that. I, yeah. I, I think the way that he said that was like, he took it in another direction. But I still tried to keep that main, keep that initial idea yeah. in my head. Um yeah, I mean, even Daisy Ridley, like when she did uh, uh, one of the late night shows, Josh yeah. Gad was, yeah. was guest hosting. She had even talked about when Ray started, they te- they were like, we think it's a Kenobi lineage. Uh-huh. Then it was like, we get this interesting idea of like, she's nobody. She just comes from nowhere. And then even while they were filming The Rise of Skywalker, yeah. it was like, oh, she's a Palpatine. Ah, maybe not. Yeah. Actually, yeah. wait, yeah, she is. Like that to me, that is such a 
frantic way of trying to do something. And when like when you're already filming your movie, you're kind of you're kind of stuck. I mean, outside of doing, you know, massive, massive reshoots, um, you're you're kind of you're kind of married to this idea, which I, I think, as Vogel already put, like as things progress, change is inevitable. I mean, you're going to yeah, find things you're going to find things that work better than what you had initially planned. Um, but getting rid of that big idea, that's what that kind of puts everything in limbo. And, and I think this is a really good example of what happens when you take your four billion dollar, your parents four billion dollar Ferrari for a joyride. Um, you know, Disney bought this Disney bought Lucasfilm. They wanted to get Star Wars movies out. And it seemed like they they were they were swayed by that second movie. They're like, you know what? Yeah, this is what you want to do, Ryan. Great, let's go that way. Um, everything was reactive. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's not I mean, despite what you think about the prequels. George Lucas had an idea and mm. things obviously changed, but he, for the most part, kept going with that idea. And this is, I think the new trilogy is an example of, of panicking, uh, uh, pan- panicking and reacting. Yeah. It's very similar to what we got with Warner brothers, right? With what happened with Zack Snyder and man of steel sure. and people overreacted at Warner brothers and were like, we need to put Batman in the film and we need to shove in four graphic novels at once and not even do justice to any of them. And we'll get BBS and all, oh, you know what? We'll do a ultimate cut and that's how we'll save it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, and then we'll give them the justice league. Oh, well, no, no, we're going to bring in another director to come in justice league. So the only thing missing from this equation was some, someone coming in and taking the film away from JJ Abrams halfway through shooting the rise of Skywalker. But it feels like that happened anyway, from the executive level, it feels like it was the executive level coming. No, no, you need to do this, you need this. Now, I'm going to say something, and maybe you guys are going to get pissed, and maybe some of you all watching are going to get pissed, but this is exactly what people were fucking afraid of about Disney-fying Star Wars. People were afraid they were going to go for what was soft and cuddly and sweet and acceptable and nice instead of going where J.J. initially wanted to go was to have Kylo become full-on fucking hardcore Darth Vader by the end. That would have been so interesting, and it would have gotten people excited for a new trilogy all case if you were successful at it of course a new trilogy where it's daisy who's very much in the light and or sorry uh, uh ray who's very much in the light connected to the skywalkers all this stuff who's discovered that she can access the jedi at any time and kylo who is hardcore where he's at so a new trilogy is them both battling throughout and you could still have the redemptive arc maybe by the ninth movie he finally realizes what he's done because remember, we caught Darth Vader like at the tail end of his mania. And so this there's a difference here. So I think where it shortchanges the Star Wars fan is there was so much rich storytelling that we could have gotten from this if Disney had had the guts to go dark. And uh, unfortunately, I, at the end, not that they don't so, have so. Well, here's, a, here's why that is, I think, not correct. Okay, go um, Disney under under the Disney regime. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you disagree. How about that? (laughs) I disagree. I disagree disagree with it because it's incorrect. But uh, under Disney, we got Rogue One. Under Disney, we've had Andor. Like this whole idea. Rogue One was much darker than what we got. You know that, right? Okay. Right, but that but that doesn't mean that Rogue One's not dark. Like there's this constant like, and there's this constant thing that happens. Really, if we had gone dark, it was good, and light is bad. Like that is a 
dark does not equal good storytelling and light does not equal bad storytelling. But that also, sure. in the case of in the case of Rise of Skywalker, look, I'm not saying that Disney executives and Lucasfilm executives didn't absolutely overreact to Last Jedi and mm-hmm. the diver- like the fans sort of like splitting down the middle. Like they absolutely did. But the reason that Kylo didn't go dark in Rise of Skywalker was not because everyone was all of a sudden afraid of telling a dark story. The reason that Kylo didn't go dark in Rise of Skywalker is because every single choice that was made about Rise of Skywalker was trying to please Star Wars fans online. And Star Wars fans online for the entirety of Last Jedi coming out were shipping Rey and Kylo Mm -hmm. like absolute crazy. So it had nothing to do with we're afraid of Kylo going dark, let's not do it. It was let's let's give the fans what they want. They really are shipping Kylo and Ray. Let's make Kylo and Ray a thing. Like it was a hundred percent that and not a reaction to dark storytelling. Like every choice post Last Jedi was, oh, the fans are really upset about Rose Tico. Let's kick her out of the movie. Yeah. The fans are, oh, we we don't, we don't want the woke fans to get that. We don't want fans to get upset. Let's give Poe Dameron a girlfriend. Like every choice in Rise of the Sky, like, oh, they, we never gave Chewie that medal and New Hope. Let's give him a medal. Like, it's like the issue with Rise of Skywalker. And I think the lesson, you know, the reason that we're kind of talking about it, obviously these movies came out and they're done, but we're living in a moment right now where a lot of people are concerned about what's going to happen with Star Wars. A lot of people are concerned about, is Marvel going to be able to write the ship? Yeah. A lot of people are really curious about what James Gunn is going to do with the DC universe. Right. And what this really teaches us, like the lessons coming out of what we've learned from what Daisy Ridley said, what Adam Driver says is, don't be reactive. Don't overreact. Don't overcompensate. Like just because people like, oh, I wish this had been funnier don't make your entire brand a comedy. Like, like the, it's the overreaction and the overcorrection that is the issue at, at play here. Yeah, but you're still kind of supporting my point by way. So I'm not 100% wrong because you're saying they didn't go dark. They wanted to instead satisfy the fans. So they could have gone dark. They chose not to go dark to satisfy the fans rather than adhering to the storytelling that was initially laid out in the first movie and whatever Ryan did in the second movie, which I still think you could have made Kylo Dark, especially after that fight in the throne when he reaches for Ray's hand and he's like, join me. That is the moment. Yes, you have him have the fight with Luke and everything like that, which kind of emasculates him, to be honest with you. But so, but you could have redeemed that in the third movie and having him be even crazier to go dark. Like, he embarrassed me. She rejected me. There is this sense of like, you could have turned him into an incel, incel Sith. Yeah, you could have. Right. And so it was there, but Disney didn't want to. They were scared to go dark because it wouldn't please the fans. So they wanted to go with something that pleased the fans, which is the shipping, which is what you just said. So It is, except that Star Wars fans are the only ones that are talking about Star Wars going, I wish it was darker. Like, you're, you're, like who, who, who's, who's wanting Star Wars to be dark? Star Wars fans. Star a lot Wars of fans get way more casual or hardcore fans are, want darkness. If it if it uh, matches the story, if it if, it's if it matches the story, but right. I just think that Disney has shown like when Marvel, when Disney bought Marvel, when Disney bought Star Wars, all oh they're going to Disney fight this, they're going to Disney fight this, and we're still having this argument, even though Star Wars has given us light stories, dark stories, good stories, bad stories since mm-hmm. Disney bought it. I don't feel like Disney nor Marvel nor anything has been Disney fied. Okay, that's fair. 
I appreciate that point of view. Uh, Shannon, any final words on this back and forth as we wrap up this uh, conversation? Yeah, I mean, just to the Rogue One point, how you had hmm. said that initially we were we were going to get a much darker movie. I mean, with the one that we got, it, it is a darker film, sure. and the entire main cast dies so like i don't i don't know how much darker it can actually go and i don't think i don't think they brought gilroy in to be like hey we need to lighten this up i think they brought him in because the direction that the original version of that story had wasn't working and what he then uh his take what he was able to do with the end um kept the spirit of what was originally going to happen like with basically everyone, everyone having to, you know, sacrifice themselves to, to, you know, get the, to steal these plans. So I, I do agree with Vogel that going dark doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's going to be better. No, um, I, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying um, you respect the process as it was going. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think we, we all say like there was a way that with in the wake of last Jedi that they could have done it, hmm. but yeah. basically the, the road that JJ charted, uh, Ryan went another direction. Yeah. And so whatever was originally intended, the moment that Ryan Johnson took over, that was never going to happen. And that should have never been allowed. That should have never been allowed. You know, they, they, they need to let people go off half cocked and create whatever storylines with his characters. They needed to have a rough idea right. <laughs> because when they talked yeah. about like with Duel of the Fates, like there were things like, well, that doesn't line up with this. It's like, it seemed right. like the folks that were in charge we're never in a room together <laughs> right. be like, Hey, we're going to hit this. We're going to hit this. We're going to hit this. Now let's fill it in with all the stuff that we want to fill it in with. Yeah. I, I know. I, I get it with rogue one. I, I, I don't see it as dark as other people do because all the deaths are heroic. So it's not dark. <laughs> what else like, do you want to happen? Yeah, I mean, like torture, <laughs> like, like Andor that's fucking dark. Putting the torture machine on, on her. That's fucking dark. You know what I'm saying? This in rogue one was, Hey, let's all come together. Let's pull this mission off, and we're all going to die nobly, saving the universe. <laughs> and die, and yeah, die, die, but die saving the universe. It's no. We're all we're all going to die, and then being Darth Vader's going to come in at the end and kick everybody's ass. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's supposed to be it's another light, fluffy Disney movie. Johnny Gene wants to the see kiddies. the Johnny wants to see the light leave Jennerso's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, clearly looking at gareth edwards product and the tony gilroy product it's clear that tony was the right choice to save that movie because <laughs> from the creator and uh, i wasn't a big fan of that film unfortunately so all right well anyway we should wrap it up uh, one last thing i, I know we got to go and i know mike you got to get back to your birthday festivities but real quick gentlemen andre brower passing away 61 years old i think affected all three of us a fantastic actor um, of course, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but also Homicide, Life on the Street, Glory, uh, A Frequency, a great film there with him in it as well. But numerous other projects. He was involved in Gideon's Crossing, uh, um, Men of a Certain Age, all, all those things. So, um, uh, Shannon, I go to your first thoughts. Uh, you posted a really sweet remembrance of him. You were in Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a, an episode or two. So your thoughts uh, on this situation here real quick. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have the pleasure of chatting with him. We were in the same scene, but it was a big scene, and he was on one side, I was on the other. Um, and in general, on set, I want to be thought of as a peer, and not a fan. Um, so, but but that is one of those things. Like, man, I wish I would have gone up and introduced myself because he 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 radiated friendliness, mm -hmm. and you know, there are so many great Holt Captain Holt lines. Um, and, and I'm biased because he has a great one in my episode where he wears sneakers to a party, and <laughs> someone calls him out for it that he was in disguise. Like, what are you talking about? He's wearing sneakers. It's like, no, no, they were right. 
<laughs> the clown shoes gave me away. <laughs> <laughs> that man was so incredibly funny, but bringing up glory. God, John, I love that you brought up frequency. Yeah. Um, Cause he great. was so, he's just, he was just such a captivating performer and he, you know, he had a great career. I just wish we would have gotten, I wish we would have gotten more of it because yeah. he's just, he's just one of those guys. I never heard anyone say an, uh, a, a, a bad word about and being incredibly talented and a nice person. Um, that, th th that's a great combo. Yeah. 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 Mike, a lot of, a lot of tributes, a lot of eulogies, a lot of, yeah. uh, so, so a bunch of younger black actors who have come through the business and worked with him and talked about how he always pulled them aside to have conversations with them give them some guidance, these kinds of things. He was always giving back. He served on numerous boards. He had charities that he was a part of and said he could have had a bigger career, but his wife and his family meant a lot to him. So he wanted to stay close to home as much as possible. So a guy who really understood the work-life balance well, man. Uh, your thoughts on Andre Bauer, brother? Yeah, I mean, I think the work-life balance is a great point. I think, you know, in talking to people uh, that we're all friends with, that, mm. that knew him, that worked with him, um, you know, there's there's a lot of people that work in this industry that are really nice. And there's a lot of people that work in this industry that are really talented. And those two things aren't always in the same people. Hmm. There's a, you know, the, and he was one of those people that anyone you talk to, like, like class act all the way, brought the work, brought the talent, incredibly nice, incredibly friendly, incredibly warm. And so when someone like that passes, it's always, uh, it's much more of a bitter pill to, you know, anybody passing is sad, but sure. like, that's a really bitter pill to swallow, particularly when someone passes at an age where you're like, man, I really think you had a lot more, you had a lot more to give. Yeah. Yeah. Especially coming off such a wonderful, what, nine year run, nine season run, I think on Brooklyn nine, nine that re or 10 season, run, I think it was that revamped him completely and how people saw him showing his comedic sensibilities I spent 20 minutes last night watching a compilation of all his sassy lines in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and you're just like marveling at the comedic timing and the delivery of all of this. And as you said, Michael, but also an incredibly nice guy who gave back in many ways, not just financially, but also uh, with guidance and what have you. But, you know, for me, he was the first TV detective I ever fell in love with. Frank Pembleton in Homicide, Life on the Street. That was my in indoctrination into like liking TV detectives from there at Sipowitz and other detectives, but thoroughly loved him in that. And being from the DC area, a Baltimore cop, a Baltimore show, that was something that I understood and could connect to. And this guy was just a unique talent from day one. And so following through his career, it was always someone you cheered for and cared about. Uh, and sadly to lose him to lung cancer, which is something my father died from, I feel even more of a sadness to mm -hmm. lose him at such a young age from that kind of stuff. So, but you know, rest in power, man. He was incredible and leaves a wonderful legacy for so many people to follow. And certainly a lot of you all care about him as well. Uh, all right. That's our show here for the geek buddies. Thank you all so much for joining us, Shannon. What do we have to tell him? Yeah. If you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon, the geek buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, uh, wish him a happy birthday, yeah. celebrate life. You can follow him at MK tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca and again, talk about darkness and watching the light leave people's <laughs> eyes. You can follow him at the Roca says. <laughs> Uh, Mikey. <laughs> um, well, you know, as you can tell from this episode, we've got all kinds of opinions across the spectrum of geekdom. And if you like really high quality, dark storytelling like John, 
you can listen to us. And if you like, you know, light, beautiful, sweet, but garbagey storytelling like me, <laughs> you can also you can always join in there too. You know, we got a little bit of everything. And here's what you guys can do for us. Smash the like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content. Leave your comments below. Dark or light, we'll take it all. Let us know in the comments what you thought of everything we talked about today. If you're listening to us on a podcast, leave us some stars and some comments there so we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. Well, we wish you all uh, hope uh, you know uh, a merry season right now. What you're dealing, what you're going through, and of course next week we'll have one more show before Christmas hits. So we'll definitely have some fun talking about that. Maybe we'll come up with some evergreen content for you all to have some fun listening to us next week. We shall see. But thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.